We ran until we were exhausted. Rachel steered us away from traps, but we had no destination in mind. Only away from that dark mountain and the roar of Kronos. Welcome to Floor 600. This is a podcast where two friends, Natalie and Quinn, read the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series by Rick Riordan. We are now reading The Battle of the Labyrinth, the fourth book in the series. Yeah, and we're about to finish that fourth book. (laughs) Dude, I... I've only had this book for a few months, and it already looks as bad as yours. I know, and I've had this book for years, ten years. Like this, this is sad. <laughs> this has been read it's very once. sad. Well, it's not that sad. Um, mine is still a little bit more beat up. I have more creases on the back because I. But look at the spine. The spine is bad. And it's like all on the edges. I mean, some of this is just normal, like... Wear and tear. Yeah. But still. It's all it, it, it is. It's only... It's a It's a first time read. It's a first read. It shouldn't look like that. Yeah. Step up your quality game, Disney. <laughs> Hyperion. But the original <laughs> printing is doing fine, except for the first other three of these books, because they do not look fine for me. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, my Lightning Thief copy looks pretty bad. Oh, I was looking at my Lightning Thief and my Sea of Monsters. They're basically, at, well, Lightning Thief is in much worse condition of Sea, the, sea of Monsters, but they're, they're, like, the entire, like, printing, like, the paid paper on the spine is just peeling away. <laughs> Like, it's half completely gone. It's My just Titan's a white My Titan's first curl. copy was, like, I had only read it once, and it was, like, in perfect condition. Yeah. That's a lot of, that's, because I have all of the um, Heroes of Olympus books. They're all, yeah. they all look very good. <laughs> yeah. We'll be going into nice pictures of books soon. <laughs> I need to get the... Last Olympian. I couldn't remember what the last book was called. Well, you're going to need that close because in this episode, we finished chapters 17 through 20 of the Battle of the Labyrinth. That means we're done with this book, which means we're moving on to the the last Olympian, which means we're almost done with the first series. (laughs) I know. It's so strange. I know. I feel like... I know we've been doing this for a year, but it feels like we haven't. Yeah. Because... Because we enjoy doing it. I know. But I, I mean, we were, like, two months ago, we were like, oh, which series should we read after this? Should we do it chronologically or in order of story? Or should we, should we do it in order of release, blah, blah, yeah. And now that we're, like, when we were talking about that, it felt like it was so far away. And now I know. it's like... And it's, like, here. Two months from now. <laughs> and we still don't fully know. Or do we? According to Twitter, everyone thinks we should read Heroes Olympus next. Okay. I'm okay with Heroes Olympus next. Out of the five votes we got, 100% of them were for <laughs> Heroes Olympus. <laughs> Which, I feel like if we read Heroes of Olympus, like, people will be interested in that. Mm-hmm. But will people still be interested in, like, the King Chronicles and Magnus Chase and all that? I think they will be yeah. but i think that we should go to heroes of olympus first just because i don't know i feel like it makes more sense to yeah. just stick with like this universe mm-hmm. 
before we go into, like, something completely different. And yeah. And we'll have to come back to this one. And then I think after Heroes of Olympus, we can go to King Chronicles. Yeah. And I think it will be able to fit in more. Yeah. And then Magnus Chase. Even though I really, 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 really want to buy it. And then what's the other one? Um, Trials of Apollo. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Also, want to read Trials of Apollo, but that comes after Heroes of Olympus in the Greek series, and I think that we should read that after Magnus Chase. Actually, I think that we might want to do it, um, like, in the order of release for the, between the Magnus Chase and Trials of Apollo series. So, like, because I think, I, I feel like... I've read something that it ties together somehow. Like, the two series slightly yeah. tie together. Well, apparently there's a timeline on this website somewhere. The Riordan Wiki website. Well, apparently I made a timeline once a long time ago, but have oh, yeah, never consulted it. <laughs> <laughs> it's on our website, floor600.podbean.com. Yeah, that one. <laughs> Your timeline looks super complicated. That's because it is complicated. <laughs> so the Battle of the Olympian, uh, the Battle of the Labyrinth to the Last Olympian to the Lost Hero to the Red Pyramid and the Throne of Fire to Son of Neptune, Mark of Athena, House of Hades, Serpent's Shadow, Blood of Olympus, then Sword of Summer, the Hidden Oracle, Hammer of Thor, the Dark Prophecy, the Burning Maze, and the Ship of the Dead. Well, thank you for reading all of that. Um... <laughs> Yes. Um, Yeah, I could see doing Last Olympian and then Lost Hero, and then I sort of like going to the Red Pyramid and then doing that, like doing the two, first two of the King Chronicles. So do Lost Hero, then Red Pyramid, then Throne of Fire, and then go back to the Son of Neptune, Mark of Athena, and then between Mark of Athena and House of Hades do the Serpent's Shadow. And then after Seared and Shadow, we do House of Hades, Blood of Olympus. And then we can get into... It sounds so complicated. Like, I feel like it would just be so confusing to do it that way. True. Just, like, switching If you have opinions, email us. We'll probably take opinions of the stranger. (laughs) (laughs) We'll put that on a higher pedestal Uh. than the opinion of ourselves. <laughs> I don't know because like the Heroes of Olympus books are all like a billion years long. Well, they're all. I think all of them after Last or Last Olympian are around the same length. Yeah. Actually, well, I think King Chronicles is maybe like fifty pages shorter. Yeah. Than um, Lost Hero series. Uh, rat. Hey, you need to update this anyway. Oh, yeah, because a new book came out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> darn it. Gosh, diddly darn it. Diddly darn done. What? <laughs> but if you have your opinions on what books we should read next, email us at floor600.podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, boy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, do you Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Also, send us your stories and comments and other things like that, and we'll feature your emails on our occasional segment, Feel Famous with Us. Yeah. Not your, like, email addresses, but the emails that you send us, because email address, that would be, like, sharing some private information. 
<laughs> yeah, we would never share anything more than your name and what you wrote with to us. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't even want your name, we wouldn't read that either. True. True. <laughs> it's <a> true. <laughs> All right, Which you ready to get started in this? The chapter seventeen. Uh huh. Right. Wow, don't sound so enthusiastic. <laughs> Chapter seven. Okay. I'm not excited to finish this book. I know, but that goes—it's it, it, just all—it's all like this is like the balls rolling. It's going down fat. It's fat going fast down the hill right now. Yeah, I mean, I've enjoyed the majority of this book except for like chap episode twenty-three. <laughs> I actually don't think that this one was. I think this would be going lower on my list. Yeah. Of fa- of fat rankings. Yeah, it's definitely my least favorite of the series. Yeah, it's going low. But once we finish this, and then we'll have the last Olympian, and then we'll be done. But we're not done. There's a lot more books. But not these. (laughs) That's true. Anyway. Okay. Chapter 17. The Lost God Speaks. Four stars. I also gave it four stars. That was so disappointing. That was a really bad high five. (gasps) Okay, so in chapter 17, The Lost God Speaks, uh, four-star rating. (laughs) (laughs) The squad is running away from Kronos and Mount Tamalpay into the labyrinth, and they just keep going till they can't go no more. Yes. That's (laughs) a good idea for running away from Kronos. (laughs) Yeah. And then they eventually have to stop in this tunnel to, like, breathe and rest. And Annabeth has just been crying the whole time. I feel like it would be so hard to run full speed while crying. Maybe it wasn't, like, sob crying, so you wouldn't have to go... <gasps> yeah. Like, it wasn't that kind of crying. It was, it just, was like... just, like, tears. Steady stream of tears going down the face. Yeah. Yeah. So, poor Annabeth. Poor, poor Annabeth. So now that they're not running anymore, she just collapses on this, like, tunnel floor and just starts sobbing. And Percy sits next to Nico, and Nico's just like, that sucked. And Percy's like, yeah. Yeah. You think? And Percy points out that Nico saved their lives, but Nico is just like, oh, the girls dragged me along. We knew you would mess it up. And Percy's (laughs) like, thanks. (laughs) But he means it. He is actually very <laughs> grateful. Doesn't he uh, say, like, oh, you sort of showed your hand to Nico? Yeah. Yeah, Kronos now knows that you're a son of Hades. Yeah, he's like, you kind of gave yourself away. And Nico's like, what do you mean? And Percy's like, you know, everybody's going to know you're a son of Hades now. And Nico's like, oh, well. Yeah, what happens, happens. <laughs> and really, how long did they expect to keep that hidden Right, exactly. Like, as he's learning more about his powers and stuff anyway, Mm -hmm. it's gonna get out there. Yeah. Especially when he's, like, running around town summoning demon spirits and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Someone's gonna notice eventually. (laughs) Yeah. And Anna, poor Annabeth, is just like, what was wrong with Luke? So first he has to, like, explain what happened with Ethan and Kronos finally waking up. Mm -hmm. And Annabeth's like, well... Luke is still in there somewhere. You saw it, him, when Rachel threw the hairbrush at him. Yeah. She's like, he's still in there. And Percy's like, I don't know about that. 
Yeah, because <laughs> honestly, Luke just sort of, or whatever, the, I really just want to call it the bot, like call him the body, because it's not Luke that's really in control. And he's a it, vessel. He's a vessel. And like, Kronos is in control, but when, when Luke comes back, it's just, all right, the body. Who's in, cro- in control of the body right now? <laughs> So when the body gets a shock to the system, like a hairbrush being thrown into his face, <laughs> it sort of yeah. goes, oh, there was a hairbrush yeah. thrown into my face. <laughs> so she sees, like, that moment of weakness, and she's like, I saw it in there. And, like, I don't know. Yeah. I admire her loyalty. He's so loud. <laughs> but it's like at what point do you just accept the fact that your friend has turned his back on you yeah like he's literally the titan lord's vessel yeah and she's still desperate to get him back and i do respect that it's sort of like i've never given up on my friends and yeah all that but with all this <laughs> like that would be so hard. That would yeah. be so hard with all the overwhelming evidence that your friend is not there anymore. Your friend is not in control. Unless he gets a blue hairbrush in <laughs> his face. It's his one weakness. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's really strange because I feel like I would just be like, oh, mm-hmm. now what? Yeah. Like, he's obviously evil now. Yeah. So I feel like they, they've they given up on other demigods for far less than literally becoming the best. Oh, yeah. They, like, get, they, they basically gave up on Nico right away. <laughs> like, <laughs> they keep giving up on him. Like, and Aww, yet, Nico. And yet they, or, well, she will not give up on, Annab- or on Luke. Yeah. And Percy's just like, dude, he gone. Yeah. And she's like, he not gone. Like, yeah, he is. All right. She's just got that blind face holding her to it. Yep. And Percy is like, or Annabeth snaps at Percy. And she's like, you just want Luke to be evil. And he's like, bro, I don't. But (laughs) all of the facts point to him being evil. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what do you want me to do? You can't be like, oh, I'm not going to fight you because you're Luke. No. It's Kronos now. Yeah. And I think it's sort of, it's it's interesting that it's Annabeth who's the one who cannot see that it's not Luke anymore. Or that, whatever. Who is having trouble accepting that Luke is no longer in control. Wow. Um, because Annabeth is the child of Athena. She Basically, she's the one who's supposed to take all the facts and be the logical one. She's the one who's supposed to basically be able to, like, see, all right, like, let's, like, quantitate it out. What? That's not the right word for that. (laughs) The quantitative analysis. (laughs) There's qualitative facts. Is that what you're trying to say? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I understand what you're trying to say. Yeah, you would think she would be able to synthesize the facts into yes. the hard, solid yes. evidence that Luke is kind of evil now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yet she's still just like... She's clinging so on to those, those small sort of partial facts that... Yeah. Oh, it could be that he's doing that. Mm-hmm. Really. Even though 
I mean, it's been four years since he abandoned them. Yeah. And tried to get Percy drawn into Tartarus. Has it been four or three? Well, this is a fourth book. I know, but Titan's Curse came between. Oh, yeah, you're right. So, like, Percy has three beads at the end of this one. So, three three summers. It's been three summers (laughs) since he... Tried to get Percy dragged into Tartarus by gifting him some cursed shoes. Yep. And she's still like, no. Yeah. She still can't get her mind around the fact that he's not nice anymore. I mean, she loves him a lot. Yeah. That's what makes it hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Sucks. So, she goes back to crying, (laughs) (laughs) and Nico is the voice of reason. He's like, hey, he's going to send monsters after us. We have to keep going. So, Percy helps Rachel out and tells her she didn't go back there, which is not grammatically correct. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And she's like, oh, I was just trying to help (laughs) in my mortal way. And then he helps Annabeth up, and she's like, I'm all right, I'm all right, even though she's obviously not. <laughs> so Percy's like, all right, back to New York we go. Yep. And turns and sees a clump of red fabric on the ground at, like, the ha- the entrance to this other tunnel. Mm-hmm. And it's the Rasta hat that Grover wears. Okay, I always forget that Ro- <laughs> Grover wears a Rasta hat. Yeah, me too. And then, like, they pointed out, and I'm like, oh, oh. yeah, Rasta hat. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like, why would he be wearing it on, in the labyrinth when, or at camp? Yeah. He has no need to hide his horns at that point. Mm-mm. And why choose a Rasta hat out of all the hats in the world? It's floppy? You can get other floppy hats! <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know, because... I think he was trying to portray, like, that cool hippie vibe, you know? Yeah. Like, playing some Bob Marley. (laughs) And now it's just weird. (laughs) When did Rasta Hat go out of style? Because I feel like they were never in style. (laughs) So why would whoever ever think that was cool? There you go. Just name that. Maybe Chiron gave it to him. So Chiron just had this in his collection of hats? Sure. I mean, who knows what's in the big house? Chiron's old as heck. <laughs> Maybe he was like, Grover, I'm assigning you to Percy Jackson. Here, use this to cover your horns. And Grover's like, okay, hey, I look pretty good. <laughs> and then <laughs> he just never took it off, apparently. <laughs> oh, you know what? Maybe it was from Uncle Ferdinand. Oh, yeah, there you go. Because Uncle Ferdinand was a searcher, so then Grover would probably yeah. see him as, like, this is my my hero, this is the guy I, I look up to, and maybe yeah. Uncle Ferdinand, before he went off to get stoned by Emily Medusa. <laughs> and now Grover just keeps it, because he reminds him of his Uncle Ferdinand. I feel like I said stoned way too high, and then not... Medusa's there. So, stoned by Medusa. So, like, turned into stone by Medusa. Rasta hat. He wasn't just getting stoned by Medusa. Like, near. Near the presence of. 
whoa, man, these statues are really cool. <laughs> that one looks so real. No wonder it's a diner. Attached. Yes! <laughs> yes. That's um, a much happier take on that. So he's just out there getting stoned in the garden gnome reporiums, then like, mm, I'm getting a little munchies, I'm going to go inside and get some sandwiches. And then he got yeah. stoned by Medusa. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> That's a nice tangent. In conclusion, Uncle Ferdinand gives the Rasta hat to Grover. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's useful and nostalgic. Yes. It's the best kind of nostalgia. Oh my god. <laughs> The Rasta hat is a bad sign. It's yes, a bad thing that we found it. Grover never goes without it. Apparently, even when he's underground. Whew. So Percy also sees, leading down the tunnel, two sets of footprints, one large like Tyson and one little hooves like Grover. Who could it be? I don't know. Our friends, Grover and Tyson. <laughs> and he, of course... Percy wants to follow them, and Nico is worried about Camp Half-Blood. He's like, what about Camp Half-Blood? There's no time. Which I think is sweet because he's always like, they wouldn't accept me. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. But he still cares about them. Mm-hmm. It's sweet. It is. I feel bad for Nico. I know. And Annabeth's like, hold up, Nico. I'm in charge here. We gotta go find them. So they do. <laughs> And they find them sitting on the banks of an underground river, and Tyson is holding Grover in his arms, and Grover is unconscious. Percy's kind of like, what happened, you know? And Tyson's like, oh, so many things. <laughs> I love that. That's just like, that's the correct answer yeah. for so many questions. Just like, what, ju- what just happened to you? So many things. So many things. Why are you sad? So many things. Yeah. Why are you happy today? So many things. He says they've encountered large snakes, large dogs, and men with swords. So um, many things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's just the beginning of it, too. Like, wandering around the labyrinth. For... Mm-hmm. I mean, they've been down there for a really long time. Yeah, well, so it's been... I think Percy says later been two months that they were in the labyrinth two months yeah well he was on ogga for two weeks yeah and then they were but then it was two months like the end of the book is two months after he got no. the flower or they got the shirt from ogga oh well that is like after he's back at camp for two months oh okay yeah so later on when they get back to camp selena says grover is three weeks overdue so it's only been like a month Oh, Salinas. Yeah. Yeah. From the Council of Golden yeah. Elders. Yeah. For some reason, <laughs> I thought you meant, like, Selena Beauregard, whatever. Beauregard. Yeah. I know. Every time I typed Salinas on this, I wanted to type Selena. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while. They, yeah. They've been, they've been underground and alone in the labyrinth. For, for, like, a month. Yeah, at least. Yeah. Which is not always fun. No. It's not fun at all. <laughs> I don't know how they've survived all this time. <laughs> so Grover, they were like heading down this tunnel. Yeah, so Grover was super excited up until 
they like actually got to the river and he was like, we're close. And then he just like passed out. <laughs> yeah. And hit his head on the rocks. Mm-hmm. So Tyson was just like sitting there waiting for him to wake up. <laughs> yep. Well, he's concerned. He's yeah. holding him. He wasn't just like Lottie dying no. around. <laughs> no, of course not. But <laughs> it's just funny to like picture him just like, well, I guess I'll just sit here till Grover wakes up. <laughs> I'm gonna sit and hold him. So the last time that this happened was when they had passed through New Mexico. Yes. And I don't remember Grover passing out at that point, yeah. but. Apparently it happened. Yeah, he did. Hmm. Um, it was after the boar went away. So they rode the boar. Oh. Um, and then he got coffee. And he was sipping it. And they were on, like, a, I don't know, in snow. I remember they were in snow. Then yeah. he just passed out. <laughs> he went, <gasps> Pen! And passed out. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so I guess that's what happened again, and Percy immediately, like, recognizes it, and there's, like, at the end of the tunnel, there's a doorway, mm-hmm. and beyond that doorway, it's a powerful presence. So they wake Grover up, and Percy's like, oh, the presence was too much for you. <laughs> and Grover's like, pan! And Percy's like... You need some bread? <laughs> <laughs> Percy's like... Something powerful is just beyond that doorway. Yes. And I tweeted last night, I think, mm-hmm. and it said, can we just officially rename the Battle of the Labyrinth as Percy Jackson's compilation of best one-liners? Yes. <laughs> There's so many one-liners from Percy in this book. It's true. Oh my god, yes. I, I was like highlighting, or not highlighting, but like bracketing so many just like, this is a good one. All right, this is good too. Oh, this is so quippy. Oh, this is just nice. <laughs> I feel like there's five times in like just this chapter that it just has a one-liner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both like he and Annabeth, I think. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> And like, oh, really like every time someone has like a big dramatic moment, they're just like quippy one line in this book. <laughs> and and this and it's like I feel like they don't do that or he Rick, Uncle Rick didn't do that much in the first few books. Yeah. It was it was there, yes. But not as yeah. much. And this one's just like chock full. <laughs> it's great. Every time there's like a time break or like they're about to do something dramatic, it's just like, ooh. Witty one-liner. <laughs> so Percy does some quick introductions um, because Grover and Tyson hadn't met Rachel, and Tyson tells Rachel that she's pretty, which makes Annabeth mad because she's extremely <laughs> jealous. And they have to wait across the river to get to the doorway on the other side. Yep. And Percy, like a ducky, is able to will himself to stay dry. I would think that he would, like, make an effort to make everybody else stay <laughs> It's funny because he thinks, like, in the book, it's like, that didn't help anybody else much. <laughs> but I could still feel the cold. <laughs> so everyone else is literally, like, freezing within this water. And he's just like, well, it's chilly, but at least I'm not wet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do anything else to help you guys, though. <laughs> Unlike everybody else who's, like, socks and shoes are just soaked. Yeah, and we have seen that he has great control over the water. Yeah. He could probably redirect that river for a few seconds so they can cross it. 
That's a you good could point. do like a Moses thing, like yeah, separate the river. Go, everybody, run across the river. I've held it for about thirty seconds, and he lets it go, and then he can walk across. <laughs> I mean, he did call forth like the entire river in, <laughs> um, whatever the book was before this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he, Italia. Mm-hmm. and then, yeah, and he just, like, summons River to clean the stables, and yeah. he's got, he, he's, like, showing a lot more control over his water powers, and yet he does not think to, oh, we're crossing a river, you know what I'm good at? Water. I could probably <laughs> fix this minor inconvenience. Yeah. <laughs> and it wouldn't take much effort, <laughs> Yeah. Silly Percy. <laughs> Silly Percy. Water's for, I don't know, normal people. Yeah. <laughs> so, Anima thinks that they are in Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico. Because that's the last time that Grover... Gro- Grover. <laughs> Grover had a the swooning Grover. episode, as Percy calls it. <laughs> who, who uses the word swooning? That's <laughs> so funny. Dramatic Grover. people. <laughs> Well, Percy Jackson is rather dramatic. Yes. <laughs> so they progress through the tunnels, and Percy starts to feel like more alive. Like his fatigue falls off of him, and it starts to smell like trees and flowers and warmth and all these nice things. And they eventually reach this giant cave that has all these beautiful plants and it's like glowy light and stuff. And there's like orchids and vines and stuff growing. There's moss on the The description floor, of this place was ground. just beautiful. Yeah. I was just like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Except for the U-shaped bed. The Roman-style U-shaped bed. I don't really understand I that. I was like, what? Yeah. What does that mean? I looked it up. Yes? <laughs> I tweeted about it last night. And I found this article... And it was like, apparently, Romans liked U-shaped beds. And they weren't really so much beds, as like couches. So they would have these, like, hold on, there's a picture. Um, it was like shaped like a U with big corners. And the head person would sit in the back and then everybody else would sit, like, on the sides. Oh, so it was, like, for, like, group sleep? They would recline and dine, according to this oh, article. Oh, so it was, it was more of a dinner place? Yeah. Re- on the Iris blog, behind the scenes at the Getty at blogs.getty.edu, um, by Getty Shelby stuff Brown. Is always good. It is good. It says, reclining and dining and drinking in ancient Rome. A look at the practice with a diagram of status seating in the Roman triclinium. So it was like they were arranged on this U-shaped couch by level of importance. Very nice. <laughs> All right, let's be on the hierarchy, of the bed hierarchy where you. Yeah. Um. It just threw me off because it's like, what is a Roman? And it says a curly U. Yeah. A Roman bed shaped like a curly U. I was like. What? <laughs> yeah, that that is weird. I guess I didn't notice that. You? So it like curls at the top, maybe. Oh, so like it's like a U, and then just like a small curl at the top of the U. Weird. Ooh. 
That's the first, I think that was probably the first thing I ever read in one of these books that I was just like, Curly. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I guess I didn't even notice that detail. Oh, I did. Thank you. Thank you, Natalie. You're welcome, Queenie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the exciting thing about this bed <laughs> is the creatures that are on it, not the shape of it. <laughs> Because there's a bunch of animals that should have been extinct on it. Yeah. Like a dodo bird that hums songs, a wolf tiger, a giant rodent, and a woolly mammoth. The woolly mammoth isn't on the bed. It's behind the bed. It's behind the bed. (laughs) And sitting in the spot of honor at the top of the bed is an old satyr with blue eyes and curly white hair and beard and enormous curved horns and a set of reed pipes around his neck. Huh. Who is it, Quinn? I believe that is Pan. It is Pan. The lost god Pan. We found him! He here. How fancy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so they all like kneel in front of Pan. Kneel before Pan! (laughs) I like that Percy's the last to kneel, even behind Rachel. And Rachel (laughs) is like out. She's not from this place. (laughs) (laughs) She can still feel the... the... She knows that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She knows that she needs to kneel in front of the nature god. Yeah. And Pan says that he's waited a long time for Grover. And Grover's like, oh, I got lost. I love that. And Pan just, like, laughs. It's like, well, I have been hiding in a labyrinth for 2,000 years. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. And Percy, with his good old ADHD, gets distracted by the fact that Dee Dee the dodo bird starts humming, it's a small world. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> Annabeth comments on the beauty of the place, and Pan says that it is one of the few truly wild places left. Yeah. And only pockets of his realm remain on Earth. And Grover's like, well, you have to come back with me so you can help save the wild. That's the only solution. And Pan's like, nah, little boy. Little, little satyr boy. <laughs> That's not happening because... I'm dying. Yeah. He's been dying for thousands of years. Yes. And the only reason he hasn't died yet is because of satyrs like Grover. Hanging on to the memory of him. Refusing to let him go. And I like that he even turns to Nico and is just like, you tell him I'm dying. Like, I need to go. And Nico's just like, yeah, he's been here for a lot longer than he should be. Yeah. And... Nico's like, it's definitely his time to go. And apparently Pan told a satyr, Lysus, to spread the word that he was dead. And so Lysus did so, but nobody believed him. Mm-hmm. But that's why they heard somebody saying the great god Pan is dead 2,000 years ago mm-hmm. on the shores of an island. Yep. And we talked about that in, oh, long time ago. I think we talked about Pan in The Lightning Thief. Oh, so yeah? all the way back there, we, I told the story of Lysus oh. going, ah, <laughs> the great girl Pan is dead. <laughs> <laughs> and Nico's like, yeah, this Pan, this is just more of a memory than yep. actually Pan. Because the gods can't die, but they can fade from existence, just like Briaries and the other hand, hundred-handed ones. Mm-hmm. Like, once they stop being believed in or what... Once the thing that they stood for is gone, yeah, they fade away. It's like fairies. 
Like in Peter Pan, like, I do believe in fairies. I, I do. do. I, I do. do. I, I do, do believe, believe in, in fairies. fairies. I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh, Tinkerbell is the worst. <gasps> Even she in- tries to get Wendy killed. So? She literally tells the Lost Boys to shoot Wendy out of the sky. It's a, it's a strange bird. Shoot it. <laughs> After Peter has told her to go prepare the boys for their arrival, she says, kill her! I know, I guess, I saw some, isn't it because, like, in f- fairies, they have so, they're so small, they can only hold one emotion at a time. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole different thing, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, it's like, it's like fairies in that... Once everyone believes that they're dead, they're dead. Or Santa. Or Santa. From Elf. And, oh yeah, yes. Like, yes. Gotta have the power of Christmas magic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just got a weird shiver. I know. <laughs> yeah, so Pan is like, each of you must take up my calling and spread my message and carry on the spirit of Pan. And then he turns to each of them except Nico and gives each of them some words of advice, I suppose. Yeah, words some of encouragement. wisdom, encouragement. Percy's message is that he will not be ruled by fear when the time comes. That's a good one. I that like that good. one. Annabeth will, he says, your time is coming and you will play a great role, even if it is different than the role you expect or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, Tyson, he says his name will live among the cyclopes, cyclopes cyclopes for generations and Rachel even though she thinks she cannot make amends she is just as important as her father oh a little bit of a hint about Rachel there and he tells Grover that Grover has believed in him more than anyone else ever has and therefore he must be the first one to release him and carry the message that he is dead which is sad yeah and he's like, you must go and carry my spirit forward and recreate the wild little by little, wherever you can. Mm-hmm. It's just and so like, sad. Yeah. It, well, and it's also, it's it's very timely. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, That's what I was thinking while reading this. I was like, man. I know. I paused <laughs> reading it and I was like, mom, like this book is going for like ecological like <laughs> heroes right now like. yeah. and this was released in 2008 and it's just it just gets more and more accurate i know and it's like look your ch- climate change has been a lot around for a long time if you want to know anything about it i don't know watch green or watch bill nye talk about <laughs> anything like <laughs> um bill nye <laughs> actually i really like his podcast oh yeah mm-hmm it's like a Colin show. Oh, uh, so funny. people like Colin just like ask science questions. <gasps> but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yes, I think this is really nice. Um, just like a, um, it it it's basically just Pan yelling into the face of everybody because yeah, it's more like there's a monster present with sight uh, with Tyson. Yes. Um, there's a human present with Rachel. There's a satyr present with. Grover, Grover, and then there's the demigods present with Percy and Annabeth. Right. And that means that he basically he's telling... And Nico. And Nico, sorry. He didn't talk to Nico. I nope. forgot Nico was there. 
reading this the first time being like, why didn't he talk to Nico? <laughs> What's wrong with Nico? It's true. Why didn't he talk to Nico? I don't know. It's weird. But I think it's interesting that just that, like, he, he's just telling the people who, like, the different kinds of people who populate the world, hey, it's your responsibility to keep yeah. this world running. Like, keep the wild places alive. Right. Find the ones that are still there and preserve them. Yeah. Sad. It's true. Yep. Go find your local, I don't know, conservation group. And- yeah. <laughs> Go enjoy a park. <laughs> so Grover must be the first to release Pan so he can fade out of existence. And so Grover does so. And he, Pan, just like dissolves into white mist that goes into each of their mouths. Unsanitary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Grover gets, like, a little bit more mist. Ooh, I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, like, the opposite. I mean, it's, like, a non-demonic version of what happened with Kronos. <laughs> I'm, like, I don't know. It still makes me feel kind of weird. Yep. Still something came in, dear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then everything in the cave just fades away, and they're left alone in a yeah. boring, cold, wet cave. Mm-hmm. And the god Pan is gone. Yep. So Grover stands up and he puts on his Rasta hat and says, We should go now and tell them the great god Pan is dead. Chapter 18, Grover causes a stampede. I gave that four stars. Gave it three So close, but no cigar. Yeah. I don't know. I was just like, eh. I don't know. Stampedes just make me think of Lion King. (laughs) That's the saddest example of a stampede you could find. There aren't many happy stampede stories. What about Jumanji? How is that happy? The original one. Yeah, that's true. But that's not, not that's remake. still not a happy stampede. No, it's not really a happy one either. But at least Mufasa doesn't die at the end. <laughs> true. The true, only true, person true, who true. dies at the end of Jumanji is the main guy. The hunter guy. I don't think he dies, does he? I think he just gets sucked back into Jumanji. Oh. Well, he dies in the existence of Arl. <laughs> the squad follows Rachel out of the labyrinth and back to the Marriott basement in Manhattan. I like that you just switched right <laughs> away. Like, all right, we're done talking about Jumanji now. <laughs> it's, it's mostly irrelevant. And Percy, mostly. <laughs> Percy summons Blackjack and some of his Pegasi friends to give them a quick lift back to Camp Half-Blood. Which Blackjack says is his specialty. And Rachel doesn't get on a Pegasus um, because she and Percy both know that this is where they have to part ways. Yeah. Would, so, would Rachel even be able to get past the invisible barrier? No. She yeah. wouldn't be able to get in the camp. Mm-hmm. So she reveals a little bit about her life. And she reveals that Rachel's father is a famous businessman and he's a land developer so he buys up parcels of land and builds builds condos and shopping outlets on them aka contributing to the destruction of of the wild world yep and i'm sure he does other weird bad things yeah and she's like young enough to think that people will judge her based on what her parents do Mm mm-hmm so she like didn't want to tell them about her family. Yeah. She was embarrassed about it. Mm-hmm. 
I think once you're an adult and you don't have your parents, like, I don't know, driving you to school every day <laughs> or driving you yeah. into work, like, <laughs> y- yeah, you are able to separate yourselves from your parents. Yeah. But with her, it's like, all right, I live in New York. He's a big New York guy, obviously, just by because obviously she just needs to say her last name. Yeah. So she really can't escape her yeah. father. So maybe there has been like cases of being hounded by press and sort of being True. like what do you think of your father destroying this the world and blah 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 blah. So she probably does unfortunately get judged for the actions of her yeah. father. That's true. Even though she's just a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and she couldn't do anything to stop him anyway. Nope. <laughs> what is she has zero control over it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's how she got the chauffeur to drive them around Colorado. Yep. It's just like I'm Rachel Dare, and he was like, "Oh, yes, Mr. Dare was your father, obviously." Yep. <laughs> what if like some random redheaded girl just went around telling people like i'm rachel dare and nobody knew the difference i feel like most people wouldn't know the difference (laughs) yep but apparently she's universally recognizable maybe her father owns the show for a company (laughs) maybe they also have a film a reality show inside of her house (laughs) and the reason percy maybe that's why she likes percy so much because she's like oh you don't recognize me yeah Maybe, you never know. Yeah, we don't know Miss Dare's life. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, because she's so cagey about it. I know. Anyway, she says that if Percy ever wants to hang out, he should just call her. And he's like, okay, I will. <laughs> and she's like, do you still have my number? It's not in the book, which really dates this book a It lot. really does. <laughs> and he's like, no, I kind of memorized it. And she's like, oh. Did you? <laughs> she gets really excited about that. <laughs> anyway, Nico is having trouble getting on Pork Pie the Pegasus. That's such an unfortunate name. Yeah. Because Pork Pie doesn't want to carry him because he quote unquote smells like death. Poor Nico. And Blackjack yeah. helpfully points out that a lot of demigods smell weird <laughs> and it's not their fault. Oh, and then, thanks. Then he sees Percy and he's like, oh, uh, but not you, boss. <laughs> what would Percy smell like? I don't know. Like if the we're sea. going at, yeah, the sea. Maybe it's like, oh, he's in a bad mood. He smells like the trash island. <laughs> he's in a good mood. He smells like salt and sand. Fish. <laughs> Fish. <laughs> Fish smell bad. Yeah. Anyway, Nico refuses <laughs> to go back to Camp Half-Blood with them. Until Annabeth puts her hand on his shoulder and is like, please, Nico. <laughs> and Nico's like, okay, I will. For you. I think but it's, I'm not it, staying. Yeah. It's very... I think it's interesting that they, it seems like Uncle Rick is sort of leading towards the... I, like, it's he's leading you in the direction that, pers- or that Nico has a crush on Annabeth. Oh. In this book, at least. I didn't think so. Is that just me? I thought it was just more like Annabeth reminds him of Bianca. Oh, maybe. I like that a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It kept, or it, it, it keeps going sort of like, uh, oh, he looked to Annabeth first to get the cue. Oh, he would go only if Annabeth go. Oh, it seems like he's protecting Annabeth here. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was sort of interesting yeah. considering. Yeah, I think it's just like Bianca 
probably liked Annabeth and was like Bianca or Annabeth is the same age as Bianca was and stuff. So, well, a little bit older, I think, but mm-hmm. but still gives off the same vibes, authoritative older sister vibes. Yeah, I can see that. I like that. Yeah, and Percy like raises an eyebrow at Annabeth, like, "How did you do that?" And she just <laughs> sticks her tongue out at him. That's right. <laughs> I got in trouble when I was little for sticking my tongue out. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> that was like one time I got my mouth washed out with soap. Because <laughs> it was bad. Like, I, like that was my middle finger. And, I, like, and you knew it. Because I would just be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And my parents would catch me and they would know what it meant. And they're like, Quinn, you stick out your tongue one more time, and I'll do it to them. <laughs> yeah, it's a threat. And then my, my mom was like, it's not a threat, and got a bar of soap. Oh my gosh, you're like, Rand- what's his name in the Christmas movie? Oh, what is it, Randy? Yeah. Right? Ricky? I want to say Randy. Yeah, like that kid. <clears throat> so, everyone except Rachel gets on a Pegasus, and they arrive back at Camp Half-Blood, and Chiron is more surprised by the appearance of Nico than any other news (laughs) that the squad has to give him. I feel like he's just, like, knows some things. He's like, yeah, well, this obviously isn't going too well. Mm -hmm. Camp has already begun preparing for the onslaught of Kronos' army. Yep. Apparently they know it's inevitable at this point, and Selenus, with the Council of Cloven Elders, Unhelpfully points out that Grover is three weeks overdue on the search for Pan and officially revokes his searcher's license. And Grover's like, Pan is dead! (laughs) (laughs) And Solanus doesn't believe him, of course. He's like, blasphemy! And Chiron interrupts. He's like, we got a battle to fight. Yeah. I love that, like, Salinas is like, we need to have, like, a big, like, meeting about this right now. And Chiron's just like... No, not today, man. Like, not, not right now, at least. There's other matters at hand. Yeah. This is the biggest battle operation Percy has ever seen at camp. Mm-hmm. And everybody who fights is ready to fight, and everyone who helps is prepared to help. Yeah. And regardless of that, Percy and Chiron both know it's not enough. Yeah. And they're just kind of, like, surveying, and Percy gets this sinking feeling in his chest. He's like, this isn't gonna work. (laughs) (laughs) And he thinks of, like, Antaeus's crowd in the underground arena Mm -hmm. where they saw Luke. And he's like, nope. (laughs) So Chiron is like, Percy, just stay with me until we see where the most reinforcements are needed in the battle. And he also tells Percy that he doesn't know how Kronos prepared Luke's body to merge his divine form with the mortal one. Um, but he thinks it might leave Kronos weakened for a little while because of and having a mortal body. And Chiron is kind of reproachful about Nico, like Percy not telling him about Nico, mm-hmm. but he understands that Percy just was trying to protect Nico. So he's not, like, too bad. He's just kind of, like, when your mom's a little disappointed in you. And she's yeah. like, Natalie. <laughs> yeah, this is the first time in a while that what, the entire time Kyron was talking, I was like, all of this is making sense. And yeah. I shall listen to all of it. But yeah. sometimes it's like, Kyron, you seem out of touch, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. But, but this time it was, like, he's on up. point. Yeah. 
Um, so while they're like having this discussion, Kronos's army bursts out of the labyrinth. Yep. And a massive battle ensues. And all of our least favorite monsters are there, from Lystragonian giants to hellhounds to Dracane. Um, Nico stops from Dracane from summoning by summoning some spirits from a fissure in the ground. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then he just falls to his knees, and Percy doesn't have time to go check on him because he has to go use his water powers to put out a fire that is threatening Juniper's tree. <laughs> I love, this entire chapter, I loved Grover and Juniper's, like, interaction. Because, like, first Grover shows up and Juniper's like, ah! And and then they just, like, spend a lot of time talking to each other. And Grover tells her everything first. And then the battle starts and Grover (laughs) spends the entire battle just protecting Juniper and her tree. And it's just... Well, uh, Juniper is also fighting, though. Yeah, yeah, she's protecting her own tree as well. (laughs) Yeah. She would be on the front lines because... That's where her tree is. Yeah, her tree is right outside the entrance to the labyrinth. So it's not like when Kronos' army moved in... If if Kronos' army ever moved into Camp Half-Blood... Sorry to say, Juniper's tree is gonna go fast. Yeah. <laughs> like it is, but luckily Percy is there on time to save it. Um, he's not able to save a lot of demigods. Yeah. Um, they're just kind of getting knocked out left and right, including one of Mister D's sons. Yeah. Percy didn't even know his name until after mm-hmm. he died, which is just sad. Yeah. Um, but we do get a glimpse of him before the battle starts, and it's like, oh, they're going like. Di- Mr. Di- or Dionysus' sons are going around giving juice and refreshments to yeah. the fighters. And they're like, yeah, they're getting getting ready and they're doing what they can. And right. oh, it's just so sad that he gets That's killed. Sad. Yeah. Um, and just as things seem to be calming down a little and, like, balancing out, Campy jumps out of the labyrinth with Ariadne's string in her hand. And Annabeth and Percy, like, run toward her, and they, like, bid each other farewell as they do. Oh, my God, I loved it. This might be it, she said. Could be. Nice fighting with you, seaweed brain. Ditto. I love it. I love it. It's (laughs) just, like, like they're running with their sword and knife in hand, and they're like, ditto. It's so great. It's so great. And they have, like, scratches and, like, monster dust in their hair. Blood. Mm -hmm. Um, Campy is kicking their butts until Briaries and Daedalus jump out of the labyrinth. And Briaries throws a billion boulders at her and just, like, buries her under all these boulders until all you can see is the two tips of her swords. Yeah. And two giants smash Chiron's back legs, knocking him to the ground. And just then, Grover lets out a scream... I guess. Yeah. Like a brass trumpet, super magnified, that Percy describes as the sound of pure fear. Pure fear. It's kind of hard to say. And it just sends Kronos' army camping. Packing. (laughs) (laughs) After that that blast of pure fear, fear, Kronos' army decided to get out their camps and their, their... Campers and they pitch their tents. Pinch their tents. <laughs> <laughs> they s- <laughs> Grover sends Kronos's army packing, <laughs> and they all disappear back into the labyrinth, except Campy, who is buried under a mush pile. Yes. So that everybody's just like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> but they don't have time to like stand around because everybody's hurt. So 
Percy and Annabeth run to check on Chiron, whose back legs are broken, but Tyson calls them to come check on Nico, and Nico's just lying on the ground unconscious, and Percy gets Well, in, him, a, like, a pool of blackness, isn't it? Uh, could be. <laughs> there was smoke curling off his black clothes. His fingers oh, yeah. were cr- clenched, and the grass all around his body had turned to yellow and died. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> He's, like, almost dead. Yeah. And... He also killed all the grass. (laughs) But Percy gives him some nectar and he revives and he says that he's fine, but he's just never tried to summon so many spirits before. And it like knocked him out. Yeah. It It would probably exhaust him or whatever because doesn't, I don't know, does Percy get it tired after he uses his powers? I think so. He like, like if he's not in the, yeah, if he's not in the water, I feel like it exhausts him. Yeah, so it's probably really hard to summon those kind of things inside Camp Half-Blood. Yeah. And <clears throat> Daedalus approaches and says that he made a grave mistake and came to camp to help it, and he found Briaries on his way through the labyrinth and convinced him to come may, try to make amends, which is why they showed up. So does, do they explain how Daedalus got away from... No. So I guess he just defeated the, what was it? The hellhound, no, the Lysionian no. giants. No, I think it was the. Were they kidnapped? I thought they were giants. Maybe they were giants. I don't know. <laughs> they defeated. He defeated the monsters on his own. Then, yes, yeah, I, I guess so. With Mrs. O'Leary, yeah, <laughs> who's also there. Yeah, here at camp now, and Percy appreciates the gesture, but he's like, "Yo, uh, as long as the labyrinth exists, they'll be able to find a way back." And it's like, couldn't they just destroy that one entrance? Is that not an option? <laughs> I, I, I guess not, because then maybe the labyrinth would open up another one, yeah. and they wouldn't know where it was. Yeah, that, that would be even worse, I feel like. You have so, to go on another search. <laughs> yeah. Daedalus agrees and says that it is for this reason that the labyrinth must cease to exist. And Annabeth's like, wait, the labyrinth is tied to your life force and your life force is tied to the labyrinth. Mm-hmm. So, and he, Daedalus is just like, yep. And Percy's like, you can't kill yourself. That's wrong. And Daedalus is like, it's, my time has come. Yep. It is. I should have been gone a long time ago, Percy Jackson. And he's like, Nico knows it. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Nico. I know. Like, Nico, you're just conscious again. Back me up. <laughs> yeah. Back me up on this matter of my own death. So, Daedalus gives Annabeth a laptop, which Mm -hmm. is the only thing he managed to save from his workshop, and has a bunch of his stuff on him, which is really cool. Um, Percy is concerned about Daedalus receiving an unfair judgment at the hands of Minos, but Daedalus is like, nope, (laughs) too late. (laughs) And he asks Percy to watch over Mrs. O'Leary, which, how is he going to do that? (laughs) going to do it. I don't know. I don't know. Carefully. Yeah. <laughs> and Daedalus offers Nico his soul in exchange for Bianca's, but Nico refuses. Yeah. He's like, no, Bianca has to say where she is. And he's like, finally found some peace. That's good. Yeah. And I think it's also just because he probably knows now from talking to Bianca that Bianca doesn't want to come back. Yeah. And, I mean, if there were a situation when he should like, trade somebody's soul for Bianca's. This is, like, the only situation that would be, like, okay to do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because every other time he would have to kill someone <laughs> who 
probably wouldn't want to die. Um, or you would hope they didn't want to die. <laughs> yeah. And Daedalus, or Nico agrees to help Daedalus release his soul. So Daedalus is like, ha, ah, I will get to say hello to Icarus and apologize to Perdix for, you know, murdering him. <laughs> and turns to Nico and Nico says, your time is long since come. Be released and rest. And a smile comes over Daedalus's face. His skin turns transparent and he disintegrates. And at the same time, the earth rumbles and shakes its labyrinth crumbles into dust. All right. That... He also says when the labyrinth crumbles, the aftershock or that earthquake would be felt. Uh, whatever. In the, all major cities. Yes. The earth rumbled, an earthquake that could probably be felt in every major city across the country at the as the ancient labyrinth collapsed. So, that's not good for the recently erupted Mount St. Helens. <laughs> Why? Just gonna say. There's gonna be a, there's gonna be an earthquake oh. <laughs> inside of that volcano again because there was a entrance to the labyrinth there. More on Mount St. Helens later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like oof. And Percy turns to his friends who are all just like sad and exhausted by this point, and it's like, come on, we have work to do. Mm-hmm. Another one liner. <laughs> yep, we gotta le- end every chapter on a cliffhanger. And that brings us to... Chapter 19, The Council Gets Cloven. Five stars, because I can't stand the council. Four stars. Sorry. (laughs) I gave it five stars because I was excited to see them stop existing. (laughs) (laughs) So the squad and the other campers clean up camp, and they prepare funeral shrouds for the ones who have passed away, which include Lee Fletcher from the Apollo Cabin, Castor... The son of Mr. D, who's Percy, whose name Percy did not know, and whose twin is named Pollux. But Lee Fletcher, isn't that also a character in Harry Potter? It sounds like it should be. I swear it is. Um, there is a Lee, I know that. There's a Lee Jordan. Mundungus Fletcher. Hmm. And then there's a Lee Jordan. Oh, okay. So it's two characters of <laughs> Harry Potter. Okay, so it's just combining two people. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was interesting because Castor, um, or sorry, Pollux, uh, is he burns Castor's shroud, and so was Castor's body also burned? Yeah. And was Lee's also burned? Yeah, they wrapped the body in the shroud and then they burned them. Okay, but then. I'm just wondering about, like, if there was a mortal family member back at home. So, like, Castor and Pollux's mom, which I sort of doubt that they have one. Just because I think they do live at camp all the time. Mm-hmm. But, like, we, we we don't know anything about these characters' pasts and stuff. But they all have a mortal family member out there. Yeah, like, Lee Fletcher's mom is just like, well, are they all like Sally? I don't think they're all like Sally, but there has to be some like Sally. Because people still leave camp in the summer, or in the school year, because they go and live with their mortal families. Not all of them. Not all of them. So are you saying, like, what do their parents think about kids' bodies being burned? Like, if Percy died in that battle, would the body be sent to Sally? No. 
get rid of Brandon. I think that's sort of unfair. <laughs> you know, I, I... Or is it just part of, like, you have to accept it? Yeah. It's just part of it. I, I, I think, I think it, if they have that option, why not take it? You know? Because they if have to have that... a demigod hero's funeral? But at least invite the parents. <laughs> it is sad. I didn't think about that. Because it's like, oh, do they just send a satyr to the home and be like, yeah. so sorry to tell you your child is dead. And then it's like, well, where is my child? And it's like, oh, we burned him. Yeah. With his golden funeral shroud. Mm-hmm. Or maybe do they take maybe some, like a jar of ashes? An urn. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I feel like, well. And then what about the 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 bad guy demigods? What about their parents? Yeah. Do they get any kind of news? <laughs> Ooh, now I'm sad. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> it's a huge bummer to think about, dog. I know. Sorry, but I had that question while reading, and I needed to voice it because I'm sad for. Even if they don't have parents out there. Yeah. But I would like to know if they did. Because I think if Castor and Paul, Pull- If Pollux cur- uh, burned Castor's funeral pyre, I think... I don't know. I feel like there's less of a chance that there are other family members out there just because he has a family member there, you know? And I understand that and I could accept that it was a good decision on his part. But, like, Lee Fletcher, it's like, we don't know anything about... Yeah. He might have... Five sis- half sisters at home <laughs> waiting for him to five come home. Sisters, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I gave him five half sisters. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of sisters. <laughs> oh no. But okay, into the Council of Clothes and Elvers. Yes. So the next day after the Battle of the Labyrinth, Selenus assembles the Council of Cloven Elders, and Selenus still wants to exile Grover immediately, but Chiron opposes him. And Juniper says that Grover must have used the panic, and I don't blame Percy for not knowing what the panic is, because Pan's been gone for 2,000 years. (laughs) The panic is just a massive wave of fear that sweeps over the enemy and causes them to run away. Mm -hmm. And it was a power of Pan. Yes. So, the spirit of Pan gave Grover the ability to use panic. He just didn't know about it at first. And Selenus, of course, doesn't believe him. He's like, blasphemy! Blah, blah, blah! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Selenus calls the issue to a vote, but Mr. D conveniently shows up at that time. And Percy had wondered about him earlier and mentioned that gods aren't allowed to interfere in battles, mm-hmm. which is why Mr. D wasn't there before. But now he's back, and he looks like he's grieving because he just found out about Castor's death. And Mr. D tells everyone that a lot of the minor gods, including Janus and Nemesis, have gone to the other side, which is not good. So what are all of them that he lists? Um, the minor gods are changing sides. Morpheus has gone over with the enemy. Hecate, Janus, and Nemesis. So they got sleep, magic, um, what? Choices. Choices and doors and... Revenge. Yeah. Ethan's mother. Yeah. Ethan Nakamura. Yep. So, Mr. D makes Grover tell him the entire story of what happened with Pan, so Grover does. And then finally, they vote. Selenus and the other two satyrs vote yes to exiling Grover. 
Mr. D and Chiron vote no to exiling Grower, which... Good on you, Mr. D. Yep. It's feeling very generous lately. <laughs> I like that when he's basically saying, like, this is why, we, like, the satyrs need to start thinking for themselves and acting mm-hmm. on, like, this these new words of Pan, like, right. take care of the environment. And um, he says, oh, blah, 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 blah. When Mr. Gr- Gr- yeah. when Grover was done, Mr. D nodded. It sounds like just the sort of thing Pan would do. Grover is right. The search is tiresome. You must start thinking for yourselves. He turned to a satyr. Bring me some peeled grapes right away. <laughs> yes, I are. The satyr. Peeled grapes. So it's, it's like, yes, he wants them to think for themselves, but at the same time, yeah. he wants them to still be serving him. And I feel like he also just, like, sympathizes with Pan, and he's like, dude, Pan is tired. Mm-hmm. Let him go. Yeah. Because... I think Dionysus took o- over a lot of the si- a lot of Pan's duties, just like um, yeah, duty, <laughs> just like <laughs> Apollo did for Helios. Yes, <laughs> I agree. Sorry, I couldn't pass up the opportunity to be childish. <laughs> so, <laughs> Salinas is like, no, we cannot be at an impasse. Blah blah blah. The council cannot be tied. Blah, blah, blah. Salinas, I'm grumpy. And Mr. D's like, oh, okay, so let it be dissolved. Yep. I don't care. And Salinas is like, what? <laughs> so Mr. D dissolves the Council of Cloven Elders. Not literally, also... they don't disappear. No, they do leave, though. <laughs> Grumbling. <laughs> Some of the satyrs follow the council, but most of them stay with Mr. D, and they just kind of look confused as to, like, what's happening? Because yeah. when you lose your, like, authority figure, it's confusing. <laughs> For some reason. <laughs> <laughs> because we as humans are conditioned to accept the hierarchy. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, and as satyrs. Yeah, <laughs> them too. So Grover kind of starts leading the satyrs who have stayed, and Annabeth comments that Grover is finally growing up. I love that, because what was he? He was like in his 30s in The Lightning Thief. Yeah, but he was had the emotional maturity of an 8th grader. I know, and he's he's <laughs> growing up. <laughs> like, his horns are coming in. Yeah. And... How old do you think he is, like, emotionally now? Like, the same as Annabeth and Percy? Probably older. I would say he's, like, 22 emotionally. You think they just reach a point where it, like, speeds up a lot? Mm-hmm. Like he hit Seder puberty? Yeah. <laughs> but then also he uh, got a lot of... I feel like just by being on his own in the maze for so long... Well, not on True. his own, but with Tyson. And that was already... In the beginning of the, this book, they couldn't stand to be near each other. And True. then we see them together when they... when when Percy and Annabeth and everybody finds them, they're, Tyson's holding him. Yeah. So it's true. like they've had some serious growth in the maze. Um, and then also we see his relationship with Juniper blooming. <laughs> First love. Oh. <laughs> and then also I'm all the responsibility him. that Pan gives yeah. him. He's just, like, matured a lot in the last yeah. month or two. It's just his his grown-up grown time or yeah. whatever. And before, like, at the beginning of this book, when they're starting the quest, he's, like, terrified to go into the labyrinth mm-hmm. and stuff. And he's like, I'll never find Pan in a week. Blah. He was so, like, sad and desperate in the beginning of this book. Yeah, and now he is, he's, like, like, really... I got this. He's, like, found himself. So, later, after all that drama... 
Percy finds Tyson giving Briarys directions to the undersea forges. And Percy's a little bit like, hmm, I've never seen the forges. Like, no. Fat face. And Briarys hugs Tyson goodbye and wades away into the water until he disappears. And Percy says that Tyson really helped Briarys. And Tyson's like, I only talked to him. And Percy's like, yeah, but it made a big difference. Yeah. So like, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um... I think it's interesting that they don't address that Tyson, at the beginning of this book, I think he was planning on going back to the Forges, wasn't he? Um. Or was it, am I imagining that? I don't remember. Because, isn't he, like, on vacation or something? Yeah, I thought he was planning on going back. Yeah, he vacation days. Yeah, and now he's not going back, so. Maybe he's just not going right now. Maybe he had some communication with Poseidon, sort of saying, hey, we think you should stay with... Your brother. Yeah. Maybe he called into his boss and said, Hey, boss Cyclops, (laughs) I'm gonna stay here on Earth. Above sea level. I don't know. Maybe we'll hear more about that later. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Percy just enjoys a normal camp half-blood dinner that evening, but it bothers him that Nico isn't eating because Nico doesn't have a table. Yeah. Nico doesn't have a cabin. He's invited to sit at the head table, and Percy's like, you could have sat with me, but Nico just, like, hangs out in the shadows, which is kind of creepy. Yeah. It's like, dude, just sit down. (laughs) So afterward, Percy follows him and follows Nico into the forest like a stalker (laughs) and sees him saying goodbye to Bianca's spirit for the last time. I think this is the first time that Percy has snuck up on Nico. Yeah. <laughs> like, and not that he, he... He's snuck up on him before. I mean, that when he sneak, snuck up on him, that Nico did not uh, react aggressively. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nico's not even mad. He's just like, oh, hello. You again. You yeah. tend to do this, don't you? <laughs> yeah. So Percy encourages Nico to stay at camp, but Nico refuses, and he's like... I have too many questions to find answers to. Like, how did we end up in the Lotus Casino? How, who was the lawyer who took us out of the Mm -hmm. Lotus Casino? All this stuff. And he's like, I don't belong at camp anyway. And Percy doesn't even argue with him. He's just like, yeah. Yeah, what does it say? (laughs) I wanted to argue, but part of me knew he was right. I didn't like it, but Nico would have had to have to find his own dark way. I remembered in Pan's cave how the wild god had addressed each one of us individually, except Nico. Is it because Nico's like the antithesis of the wild? But death is just as natural as anything exactly. else. Exactly. So I don't know why Pan would ignore him. I know, it's so weird the way they treat Nico. I know. Because then Quintus, who is in basically the same boat as Pan, treats Nico with super, like, super respect. Yeah. And yeah, Pan doesn't even address him. Weird. It is weird. Don't like it. Maybe Nico's future is too shrouded in darkness for Pan to see. <laughs> but then wouldn't you be like, your future is in darkness for today, <laughs> but I see light in you. I do. <laughs> you would hope so. I don't know. It's so weird because, like, you can't have life without death. Yes. It's a natural part of everything. And yet they treat him like... They ostracize him. I mean, I wouldn't really want to, you know, hang out with him in the underworld. But, (laughs) But, like, hanging out with him at Camp Half-Blood would be perfectly fine. Yeah. So strange. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I'm kind of, like, 
miffed with Percy for giving up so easily. I know. But. But at the same time, I don't know what he would be able, I don't know how he would be able to convince Nico because Nico does need to find the answers to the yeah. question, these questions, and he can't find that at camp. Yeah. And it's not like Chiron's going to give him his own special quest to go answer these questions. That's um, true. Yeah, I mean, like, at the same time, I understand it, because nobody can figure out Nico's life but Nico. Mm-hmm. But he's also 12. I know. But, I mean, so are they in the Lightning Thieves, so... But he seems like a much different 12 than Yeah, Percy, he's had to grow know? up a lot in the last six months. Yeah. And then just his life in general. Yeah. And he is technically, like, 45 years old. Yeah. <laughs> at least. Yeah. He's, like... Born in 1945. Yeah. Percy gives Nico the mythomagic figure that he dropped so long ago, and it's the Hades figure. Mm-hmm. And Nico's like, I don't play that game anymore. It's for kids. And Percy's like, it's got 400 attack power. <laughs> and Nico's like, 500. <laughs> Percy just tosses it to him, and Nico keeps it. Good. <laughs> and then he says goodbye and walks away into the forest. So as Percy is like... Watching Nico walk away, he hears another voice behind him and finds Mr. D. And Mr. D says that he was finally starting to feel better, but Percy always manages to annoy him, so he sought Percy out. <laughs> like, why do you want to feel bad? <laughs> and he tells Percy that what he and Annabeth did was mildly competent, though he's not sure he should well thank them for saving the camp. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> and then he really... Drives home his point by calling him Perry Johansson. <laughs> so they walk back to the campfire together, and this is like the most pleasant few minutes Percy has ever had with Dionysus. I know. And Dionysus just like talking to him, and they see Chris Rodriguez sitting with Clarice, fully sane again. Yeah. And Percy's like, wait, you healed him? And Mr. D's like, well, madness is my specialty. Yeah. And Percy's like, but why? <laughs> <laughs> like, why? Did, like, are you asking why he, he... Why he healed yeah. Chris. And Mr. D is like, well, maybe I was grieved by my son's death. Maybe I wanted to give Chris a second chance. Who knows? Mm-hmm. And Percy's just like, well, thanks, Mr. D, for yep. doing one nice thing. Yep. <laughs> and Mr. D's like, I am nice, Jackson. Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> and I really like what Mr. D says to him at this part. Mr. D says, perhaps I felt grieved by my son's death. Perhaps I thought this Chris boy deserved a second chance. At any rate, it seems to have improved Clarice's mood. Why are you telling me this? The wine god sighed. Oh, Hades, if I know. But remember, boy, that a kind act can sometimes be as powerful as a sword. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, as a mortal, I was never a great fighter or athlete or poet. I only made wine. The people in my village laughed at me. They said I would never amount to anything. Look at me now. Sometimes small things can become very large indeed. I really like that. I do too. I feel like there's a lot of moralness in these last couple of chapters. It's just like coming out of nowhere, kind of. Mm-hmm. And I, I like this Mr. D. I think this is the first new side to Mr. D that we have seen. Yeah. Um, it's the first time he's on Hawaiian shirt. He's in a suit and tie, um, because he's mourning the death of his son. But also, I would think that he would be in the suit and tie because he was going around. Talking to the minor guys. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I like Mr. D in this. I always like Mr. D, but 
This is like <laughs> a nice Mr. D. Right. Which is nice to see. <laughs> you made a rhyme. <laughs> yeah, it's like a nice change. It's like everybody is changing in this book a lot. Mm-hmm. All right, Except are we ready for the last chapter? Covered. I know, Annabeth sort of sticks to her guns. Yeah. Except her jealousy is a new side of her, and it's not even like... She kind of got this, the short end of the stick. Yeah. Like, everybody's going to have a growth arc except Annabeth. <laughs> <laughs> Annabeth, your arc does not start for a while. <laughs> yeah. You get to be sad for a while. Sorry. All right. Chapter 20. My birthday party takes a dark turn. Three stars. Three stars. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> that was another high five. Yeah. Yeah, so the rest of the summer is pretty normal. They're just training and stuff, and Percy says it's actually kind of disconcertingly normal after the Battle of the Labyrinth. And the only thing that's not normal is that Annabeth and Percy aren't really talking for this two months camp. Yeah. So on the last day of camp, Percy is just standing at the top of Half-Blood Hill waiting for Argus to drive him into Manhattan, And Annabeth comes to bid him goodbye, and Percy wishes that she were riding into the city with him. And she's not. (laughs) Because she is staying at camp to take care of Chiron and delve more into Daedalus' laptop before going to San Francisco and attending a private school. Mm -hmm. Even though it's right there by Mount Tam. (laughs) Well, she's going to keep an eye on Mount Tam, Tam. and she probably sort of... You know, a little part of her hopes that she runs into Luke, Luke slash Kronos. Yeah. The body. <laughs> um, <laughs> runs into the body. And yeah, because she's definitely still really hung up on Luke. Of mm-hmm. course. Of course. Nothing changed in like two months. Yeah. I but... think it's, I wonder if it's hard for her because everyone else seems to have almost accepted that Luke is gone, if not in body in soul. Like, they're yeah. like, he's not, they, everyone sort of accepted that, oh, he's, this mortal soul is not going to overpower Kronos. Right. And Annabeth just hasn't. She has not accepted that he is gone in any way. Yeah. I think everyone else is sort of seeing him as, all right, he's dead, or if he's not dead now, he will be. Yeah. I mean, how could his spirit be stronger than Kronos's, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she can't even talk about Luke without... Like, she can't even say Luke's name to Percy. I wonder if she does have someone that she can say or talk to about Luke. I hope that she does. Me too. I feel like like Talia used to be that person for her. Mm -hmm. But how briefly she had, yeah, had Talia there. Yeah. She's just... Annabeth has lost a lot lately. I know. It's sad. It is. Um, Percy asks Annabeth what... The rest of the prophecy was, and we finally get it in announced in the book. Uh, you shall delve in the darkness of the endless maze. Obviously, the labyrinth, uh, the dead, the traitor, and the lost one raise. You shall rise or fall by the ghost king's hand, Nico, the child of Athena's final stand, Daedalus, destroy with a hero's final breath, and lose a love to worse than death. Bum bum bum. Yep. So. And Annabeth, the reason that Annabeth didn't want to share that last line is that I think that she thought that love might have been Percy. She says, 
Percy, I didn't know who the prophecy was talking about. I, I didn't know if Luke and I, for years, he was the only one who really cared about me. I thought, so she doesn't know if it's Percy or Luke. Yeah. And then it probably didn't help when Percy disappeared for two weeks and was yeah. presumed dead. She was like, <laughs> the prophecy is true. Yeah. And now is it even, is it better that Percy, it wasn't Percy and it was Luke for her? She don't know. Yeah. Because now that Percy and her aren't even talking. Yeah. Hard. Sad face. Yeah. <laughs> and then who should show up but Hera? Hera. Hera. Gotta love it. Not really. No. They're not happy to see her. Hera's like, oh, the quest was a success. Our family is safe. And Percy's like, you don't care about your family. And I love Annabeth. <laughs> a success? Annabeth said. Luke is gone. Daedalus is dead. Pan is dead. How is that? Our family is safe, Hera insisted. Yeah. What? Like, maybe the Olympians are safe. Yeah, she says... Those others are better gone, my dear. I am proud of you. That would... No. Annabeth wouldn't have none of that. No. So, Percy's like, you didn't help Nico. Mm-hmm. And she's like, pretends that Nico doesn't exist, yeah. essentially. <laughs> and Hera's like... What do you say? Oh, she says, oh, please. The child of Hades said it himself. No one wants him around. He does not belong. God, Hera is awful. She's the worst. And then, like, she's like the goddess of motherhood. That's not what you want. Like, (laughs) oh. Queen Sally should be the goddess of motherhood. I know. She's the best at it. Should be. She's better than Hera, at least. Yeah, Hera's the. She's awful. And Hera's like, I actually helped you quite a lot. I guided you when you didn't know I was guiding you. And Annabeth's like, well, next time, just don't. And Hera's like, you shall regret this insult, Annabeth. Chase, you shall regret this very much indeed. And then she just leaves. And they're like, thank the gods. (laughs) She's the worst. I wonder if you could, like, when Hera left, if you were able to be like, thank Hera, she's gone. (laughs) And then she would get that notification in her little, like, <laughs> prayer box or whatever. Do you think she would, like, come back and smite them? <laughs> I would, I think it would be just such a great thing. Like, I feel like if I was a demigod, every time I pissed off a god, I would just be like, think, what I, like, I don't know, what one would I piss off the most? I don't know. Think Zeus. That means <laughs> awful. Like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. It'd be great. Just, like, put a little, it's like just a cherry on top for. Yeah. Pissing someone off. someone. Because, like, you, all right, you already said one thing, and they controlled themselves and walked away. And then yeah. what did you do? You basically just sent a little notification <laughs> to their inbox. Yeah. Saying, oh, they're talking about you again. <laughs> that would be annoying. I just left them. Percy tries to talk to Annabeth, but she just tells him goodbye and jogs back down the hill. So Percy goes home. Huzzah! And his 15th birthday is two days after the end of camp. He's not too thrilled about this because that means he only has one year until he becomes the age of the prophecy. Queen Sally throws him a little birthday party because she loves him and she's happy that he's reached age 15. <laughs> the white old age. Yeah. 
And Paul Blofus comes over, um, and we learn that Chiron has manipulated the mist into making everyone think that Kelly the Impuso was just a crazed pyromaniac cheerleader <laughs> who set the gym on fire and then ran away. Yeah. So I don't know why he couldn't have done that for, like, all the other schools that Percy got kicked out of, but whatever. And Tyson comes over and Sally bakes two extra blue cakes just for him. <laughs> so Paul asks Percy for a minute alone. So Percy's like, uh, okay, sure. He's like, can you help me in the kitchen, Percy? <laughs> and I just imagine he's, like, kind of nervous. <laughs> so Paul asks Percy about going to driver's ed over the summer, which Percy was excited about, but isn't as much anymore. And then he kind of, it's not really a question. It's just kind of a statement that he's like, you had a rough summer didn't you? Yeah. And some girl trouble. And Percy's like, how did you know? It's like, because you're a high schooler. (laughs) (laughs) And you're obvious. And Paul's like, I'm just judging from your expression that you have a lot of stuff going on. And also, I can't figure you out. So there's that. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's saying something coming from a teacher. Yeah. When a teacher can't figure out. (laughs) I've seen a lot of kids in my day, and you don't fit into the, into the normal brackets. Yeah. <laughs> I can't put you in one of my boxes. Yeah. Um. So Percy admits that he lost some friends at the camp he goes to. Uh, doesn't say anything about the girl trouble, really. And Paul is like, well, I'm sorry to give you more to worry about, but here's some more girl stuff. And Percy's like, what? And he's like, I want to propose to your mom. <laughs> and Percy's like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> he's like, are you asking my permission? And Paul's like, not really, but I wouldn't have felt right about it without talking to you man to man. Percy's like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's a great idea, Paul. You should go for it. <laughs> I like it because he does think about it. He's just yeah. like, first of all, you shouldn't be asking me. You should be asking her. Wait, oh, you are going to ask her? Cool. <laughs> but haven't they only been dating for like a few months? I think a year. Because oh. they were dating. No, yeah, about a year. Was he in? But it was only like winter. Yeah. When. So, he yeah. curse. And yeah, so they August. have been dating for six months. Wow. <laughs> Eight months? A, Quick engagement, but I guess, I don't know, they're, I don't know. They're older. They're older, they know what they want in life, and... They're happy? Yep. Also, we don't know how much time they've been spending together while Percy's gone. Yeah. And we don't really Probably know Probably a exactly lot, because it's when. summer, so Paul doesn't have to work. True. <laughs> yeah. We don't really know exactly when, because I think... The Titan's curse at the beginning is the first we see of him. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that he hasn't. Not been at the beginning, before. but like. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like when he. Percy Iris messages his mom. Mm-hmm. I think that's the first time we see him. Yeah. So she could have been around for a while by then. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's cute because he smiles real big and he's all happy about it. So it's sweet. Um, Percy is about to blow out the candles when the doorbell rings and everybody's like, who could that be? <laughs> And no one knows who it could be. <laughs> <laughs> who could that be? I don't know. <laughs> no one is expecting it to be Poseidon himself crashing no. Percy's 15th birthday party. And Sally gets really flustered when she sees him. <laughs> she blushes and she's just like, uh, it, 
hi. <laughs> and Paul's like, who is that? <laughs> and he introduces himself to, to Poseidon. And Poseidon thinks Paul calls himself Paul Blowfish. Yeah. <laughs> just like Percy. Yeah. And then he's kind of disappointed when it's not Blowfish because he loves Blowfish. Yeah. I like that when P- Paul finds out that Poseidon is Percy's dad, he sort of got, like he gets sort of like stern. He's just like, oh, yeah. it's you. <laughs> it's like, yeah, what does he know about he Percy's weird. dad? He knows that he left Sally alone with a baby. Yeah. And he also knows that there's no real hard feelings, but that doesn't mean that he can't judge (laughs) the man who left the woman that he loves. Yeah. And especially because he obviously cares a lot about Percy, so he's probably like... Yeah. He cares about both of them, and in his eyes, this guy did did a wrong a long time ago. I mean, he really... He did. did, Regardless (laughs) of the fact that he's a god, like, still. Yeah, and... I feel like Paul's kind of like, he was this strange man who obviously has my girlfriend flustered. Yep. <laughs> um, and besides, like, I couldn't miss Percy's 15th birthday. If this were Sparta, he would be a man today. <laughs> and Paul's like, yeah, I used to teach ancient history. And besides, like, has a twinkle in his eye. And he's like, that's me. Ancient, ancient history. history. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> I love Poseidon. Um, so Poseidon steers Percy into the kitchen and has him tell him the whole story about the Battle of the Labyrinth and Kronos waking, which would take forever. Yeah. And Poseidon says that even he doesn't know how Luke and Kronos have become one, but he thinks, contrary to Chiron, that they won't be killed easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had mentioned that he has problems of his own as the old sea gods are awake and they're fighting so terribly he has to keep... It's like everything he can do to keep them from destroying the land, the surface world. And Percy's like, let me come down there and help. And Poseidon's like, no. (laughs) But he gives Percy a sand dollar and tells him to spend it wisely. Oh, that's what I wanted to look up. I wanted to see if sand dollars were ever used as actual currency because Poseidon Uh refers to it as such. Back in my day, you could buy a lot with a sand dollar. And Percy asks him about Antaeus, and Poseidon says that the things that the gods' sons and daughters do in the gods' name reflects more on them than on the gods. Um, And he also tells Percy that Percy is his favorite son. (laughs) And Percy's like, aw, yay. (laughs) So Poseidon mentions Mount St. Helens, and Percy blushes, thinking he is talking about Annabeth (laughs) kissing him. (laughs) But he's really talking about the fact that the volcano is still erupting. Mm -hmm. And will probably soon wake Typhon. And the first place Typhon will go is Manhattan to find Mount Olympus. Yep. And Percy's like, I'm so sorry. And Poseidon's like, it's not your fault, even though it totally is. But it would have happened eventually. So, whatever. And then he's like, I have to go. Goodbye. And he turns into mist (laughs) and blows away on a warm ocean and it's kind of hard to explain to Paul how Poseidon just disappeared via the fire escape. <laughs> and he's like, why though? But he has to accept it because he can't think of any other explanation. Mm-hmm. And they all eat blue cake and ice cream and play games and Tyson destroys them all at Monopoly. <laughs> and so Percy takes a little break and heads into his bedroom with a slice of blue birthday cake, which is kind of rude to just be like, all right, I'm leaving, but whatever. Yep. 
He thinks about calling Rachel, whom he did not invite to his birthday celebration, but doesn't do it because it makes him too nervous. But he should have invited Annabeth. She should have. like ham. She's not that far away. She could have had Arya's driver in for one night. Yeah. I could see not inviting Rachel. But not inviting Annabeth? He doesn't even think about Annabeth. I know. It's crazy. (laughs) Or Grover. Just send an invite out. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, come on, Prissy. Nope. No Grover, no Annabeth? Nope. Just a small family get-together, I guess. Yeah. And... Percy realizes that he's still wearing the white cotton shirt Calypso gave him on her island. And I'm like, has this shirt not been laundered in the know, last right? two and a half months? I guess not, because they, <laughs> they are freshmen in high school. They're not. <laughs> and you're at camp. You're not washing yeah. stuff. Like, he just took it off, put it in his cabin, and then put on a camp t-shirt and was like, all right. And then yep. finally got it out, like, two months later. Mm-hmm. Because the clipping of Moonlace is still in his pocket. Yeah. And he remembers Calypso asking him to plant a garden in Manhattan. So he plants the Moonlace in a little planter box that Sally keeps on fire escape. And gives it a little bit of nectar and a tiny little glowy plant sprouts out of the dirt. No baby plant. And then he just hears, nice plant. (laughs) (laughs) And turns around and sees Nico standing on the fire escape right next to him where he just appeared out of nowhere. And Nico is taller and shaggier and looks tired and hungry as always. And he tells Percy that Daedalus got his punishment, which is to build overpasses and exit ramps through Asphodel for the rest of time. Ouch. <laughs> but he's kind of enjoys it because he still gets to like build things and create things. Which yeah. is funny. And he still gets to see Icarus and Perdix on the weekends. <laughs> so he's like, it could be worse, you know? Yeah. And Nico says that he's found out some things and wants to make Percy an offer. A way to beat Luke slash Kronos slash the body. (laughs) And he glances inside Percy's bedroom and sees the blue birthday cake. And he's like, is that, is that blue birthday cake? (laughs) Percy's like, come on in for some cake and ice cream. We've got a lot to talk about. Mm -hmm. And And we got to end on a cliffhanger. Yep. (laughs) So guess what? That is the end of the book. I know. It's crazy. Next episode, we're going to be reading Last Olympian. Whack. Craziness. But for now, until then, oh my god. Oh my god. It's time for oh my god. So we didn't really meet any new gods or for that matter monsters in this episode. But I am going to talk about Pan because he is a very important character, and I mean, we, we haven't have just officially met Pan. Exactly, we've only, we just met him, yeah. and but we I, or like I did talk to talk about him, and I looked it up in episode three. We talked about Pan. Oh, I saw that like super old document was up, and I was like, "What the heck?" <laughs> <laughs> yup, <'Cause laughs> way back when, way back in the day. Last edited on February 17th, 2019, (laughs) we (laughs) talked about Pan. So, just a little bit of a recap. Pan is the god of the wild. He is of the shepherds and flocks, natures and mountains and, er, yeah, wild and rustic and whatever and everything. 
<laughs> Everything wild. <laughs> wild nature. stuff. And basically, and he had like a com- companions of nymphs and satyrs, and those were his like main dudes. Nice. Um, and he had the hindquarters uh, and legs of a goat, so he looked like a satyr. So, but just like, all right, genealogy of Pan. Pan, like nearly all of the gods, has a big question mark where parentage goes. And some say that in the Silver Age, so when the gods were, like, making babies and populating (laughs) the world with young, like, minor gods, um, and creating all of those, like, classic feuds. So that's when, like, uh, Hephaestus and Aphrodite are getting married at the same time Aphrodite and Ares are having babies of their own. Yeah. Um, So at this time... Uh, Hermes is a more, like, he's a recently matured god, and he has a baby with a nymph called Dryope, Dryope, and that baby was the goat-footed Pan. (laughs) But others say that Pan was older than that, older than the Olympians even, perhaps even older than nature than itself, so basically as old as the earth, uh, Mm. or, sorry, Perhaps even as old as nature itself. So once the earth was there and forests and stuff started popping up, out popped Pan. Yeah. So that's some ideas. So just uh, <laughs> I like that idea. Mm-hmm. I do too. <laughs> it's just there. Yeah. So Pan made very limited appearances in the myths. Um, I, I meant to just do a quick recap of this myth, and then I ended up writing, like, two pages on it, because it's a very in-depth and long myth. It's also a very beautiful story, it's a it's a love story, and Pan makes such a freaking brief appearance. (laughs) (laughs) But, so he makes an appearance in the story of Eros and Psyche, or you might have heard it as Cupid and Psyche. And so Eros was, or Eros was the god of physical love. Um, he later became known as Cupid in the Roman style. And then Cupid was then morphed into the cute little terrifying cherubs <laughs> that haunt every Valentine's Day. Um, but the Greeks did not see, uh, Eros as this creepy little cherub. They saw him as this mature young man who, who was, as, this is a quote from Stephen Fry's book, Mythos, the Greek Myths Untold, or, sorry, 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 sorry. Untold. Retold. Retold. Stephen Fry's Mythos, the Greek Myths Retold. And he describes Eros as an artist and athlete, both sexual and sporting. He was regarded as a patron and protector of gay male love, as well as presiding presence in the gymnasium and on the running track. So basically, he was just this, like, hot, athletic, (laughs) running gymnast who also was just an all-out cool dude and, um... Could make anybody fall in love with each other. <laughs> nice. Yeah. He was the child of Aphrodite and I believe Ares. Again, question mark on the male parentage. 
But Aphrodite for sure. Uh, and now Psyche, or Psyche? Psyche. Psyche. Psyche was a be- the beautiful youngest daughter of a king and queen. And Psyche was so beautiful that many people in the kingdom had stopped worshi- worshipping Aphrodite and were instead worshipping the young and beautiful Psyche. Aphrodite did not like this. <laughs> Do not like this, <laughs> And as such, she, uh, Aphrodite summoned her son, Eros. And Eros came up and he was like, hey, mom, what do you want? And, she, and mom's like, hey, son, I want you to take the, find the ugliest pig alive and then take it to Psyche's palace or the place where Psyche lives and then put it into her room and then shoot Psyche with an arrow and make sure that Psyche, the first thing that Psyche sees is this pig so that she'll fall in love with the pig and it'll be oh. hilarious. It's like <laughs> Cupid's arrow or Eros's arrow. You yeah. get struck by the arrow or you get whatever, hit by the arrow. You fall in love with the first thing you see. Right. So, Eros being a good boy, he goes out and he finds the ugliest play- pig in the world and he leads it to Psyche's palace and then puts... and then. Uh, he gets underneath the window to Psyche's bedroom, and it's in a tower, and he has to climb up into the tower, which is a bit awkward, especially if you're carrying a pig. <laughs> so he's climbing yeah. up the p- tower a little awkwardly, and he has his bow over his, like, bow and Whatever. quiver and over his back, and he's climbing up. Ah, this is strange. There's a squealing pig. So, as soon as he gets into the window, he's, it, like, balanced in the window ledge, has the pig wedged into his legs, in between <laughs> his legs, so it doesn't start... Pigs are huge. I know. But it's a little pig. It's uh, a little pig. It's going to grow pig. up to be a very ugly big pig. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, like, so now he's in the room, but he, he's sort of balancing in the window ledge, and he has a pig in, in stuck between his legs, and he's reaching over his back to get a... Ball and arrow, and then the <laughs> then a, a lot of things happen at the same time, and the pig squeals and moves a bit, and it jostles arrows. And when he's reaching out over his hand, his head back to reach the arrow, he cuts himself on the arm with one of the arrows. Uh oh. And then because of the squealing pig, Psyche wakes up and she le- she starts to light the candle. She lights a candle. And uh, Eros sees Psyche, and Psyche sees the pig, and Eros is like, I gots to go, and he heads out before <laughs> before um, Psyche even saw Eros. But oh. all that needed to happen after Eros got cut by that arrow was for Eros to see Psyche, and Eros falls deeply, <laughs> madly in love with Psyche. And so, and, and and Psyche's just left alone wondering how a pig got in my room. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, uh, what the heck? So the next, uh, so the next thing that happens is Psyche's father's father goes to consult the or an oracle of Apollo because 
his youngest daughter is refusing to marry any of the old land landowners that he wants her to marry. And now she found we found a pig in her room. <laughs> like something's up. I need to talk to someone about my youngest daughter. Weird things are happening. <laughs> so now Apollo was in charge of this oracle, and Apollo was also friends with Eros, and he knew all about Eros's new found love for the beautiful Psyche. Oh boy! So he hears the hears hears Psyche's father complaining about his daughter, and he's like, "All right, all right, all right." And he tells his oracle to tell Psyche's father, "All right, your whole kingdom is gonna get destroyed by a whole." Like a big, terrible monster. Mm, that's not good. And it will all be your fault to the dad. If, unless you tie up your 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 third da- you put your third daughter on top of that mountainside over there as a sacrifice to this big, terrible monster that's coming to destroy your your land. And that is exactly what Psyche's father does. She go, it, He takes her up on top of the mountainsides and leaves her there for sacrifice. And Psyche's sort of like, oh, I knew this was coming. <laughs> I mean, what else is an unmarried pretty person to do in the commits <laughs> other than get sacrificed? Or... <laughs> so, <laughs> or, or seduced by a god. So, but instead, so she's laying there, like, tied to the mountain, sort of waiting for the big monster to come. But instead, she just sort of floats away. She gets picked up by the west wind, uh, Zephyrus, and he, she is taken, carried by him, this god, Zephyrus, to the beautiful castle. Or a beautiful castle. And this is when the story takes a turn for Beauty and the Beast. So basically there's invisible servants. And then um, Eros is there. But Eros is invisible in the day. And because he doesn't want her to see him. And then um, she he would visit her in her bedchamber. And they would make love in the night. But the only rule was you cannot look upon me. Because oh. then I will never know if you truly want to be with me or want to be with the god of love. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so she loved him. He loved her. Um, but she had a little bit of weirdness around, hey, I've never actually seen you. Mm-hmm. And then one day she goes back to her 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 family. She goes back to her King, the kingdom, and she's just like, hey, everybody, I'm pregnant with this god's wife. He's told me all about it. Like, <laughs> he's told me all about how he's a god. I've never seen his face. Wait, I live wait, in this face. Yes. You said, hey, everybody, I'm pregnant with this god's wife. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, everybody. <laughs> hey, everybody. I'm pregnant with this god's baby. Um, I I live in this fancy castle. I have a whole bunch of invisible servants. I have all this amazing stuff. My husband is great. Well, technically, he's not my husband, and I've never actually seen his face. And everyone's sort of like, ah! And uh, his, her sisters especially are sort of just like, what? 
What? First of all, you're happier than us, and we sent you to be sacrificed on a mountainside. And, like, now you seem like you're richer than us, and you're happier than us, and you're having a baby, and you, like, make beautiful, beautiful love in the dark every night. What is up with this? And they're really, really jealous. So they convince her, like, oh, well, you never know. You've never seen his face. He could be a terrible monster. And you should just, you should look on it, look at it one time before the baby's born. Because what if this is just a normal man? Or what if this is a terrible monster? Yeah. And you're about to bring a weird thing into the world. So this starts nagging at her brain. And she's like, I don't know what to do with my life. So she goes back to the castle because that was, that was a part of the rule too. She had to go back to the castle and the night that night, she once again, Eros and Psyche make sweet, sweet love in the dark. But at night, she's still lit. She's lying there, and she's like, "I still don't know what this guy looks like." So she picks up a candle, lights it. He's fast asleep, and she can't see his face still, just from the angle that she's at. She can see his back, uh, and she can see his wings, and she's like, "Wow." He's not a monster. He really is who he says, he, like, who who he said. He's basically an angel. He's beautiful, blah, blah, blah. And I don't even see his face. But then she, uh, the light of the candle also catches the light off of this shining golden quiver. So she goes over to the quiver of arrows and she takes an arrow out of it and she's looking at this beautiful arrow and she's like running her fingers all over it like, oh my god, it's golden lined and look at this feather, it's so beautiful, what craftsmanship. And then she like, like slowly, like you know Hollywood, like you're just like rubbing the- Is it sharp? Is it sharp? How sharp is it? It's very sharp. She cuts herself and then she's always like, oh! And she like sucks her thumb and looks down at her. Her naked lover. And then she goes, Oh! I'm very much even more in love with him. <laughs> even more than I was. Yeah. And I really need to get on that right now. Or whatever. She leans down to give him a kiss while he's still sleeping. And she still has that candle in her hand. Oh. And it drips. A little bit of wax drips on him. And he wakes up with a start. And then he wakes up and sees her standing above her him with some love craze eyes <laughs> and a burning candle and an arrow in hand. And she's just like, ah, I love you! <laughs> <laughs> and he's like distraught and angry and just betrayed because this is exactly what he didn't want to happen. And so he starts beating his wings and he's floating in the air and she's trying to grab hold of his legs, but she gets pulled off the ground a little bit, but not, can't hold it on long enough and she, he just throws her off of him and she falls to the ground. Aww. And then as soon as he leaves, the entire castle disappears and all of those, the invisible servants become even more invisible. And they the Everything disappears, and she's left sitting alone in the wilderness. Poor Psyche. And this is where Pan appears. No. Pan oh. shows up, and he's and she find he finds her just wallowing in despair. She's cold, alone, and lovesick in the middle of the woods. <laughs> 
And she, he's just like, don't do it. She's like, what do you mean don't do it? And he's just like, I know what you're planning on doing. I'm, you're planning on running off a cliff, dashing yourself against the rocks, killing yourself, drowning yourself, planning on killing yourself in some way. And she's like, how did you know that? It's like, it's pretty obvious. You're crying <laughs> in the middle of the woods and you're pregnant. <laughs> Aww. And he and she's sort of like looking for advice, and he just tells her, "You know what? I think that you should go and seek revenge. Go look, look at what you what slash who brought you to this. Was it love? Was it like did Aphrodite or Eros actually put you in this position, or who put you in this position? If they put you in this position, go pray to Aphrodite and Eros. If someone else put this in position." Go seek revenge. <laughs> and so Psyche th- thinks about it, and she realizes it's not Eros's fault that she looked at him, because it's not. It's her sister's. Mm-hmm. So she goes to seek revenge. And that's where I'm going to leave it right now. <laughs> because, <laughs> because we're going to be talking about Psyche, Psyche and Eros again, I'm sure. So... We'll finish it sometime. But if you want to look it up in your own time, you're welcome to. The book Mythos by Stephen Fry has a very beautiful version of it. Um, You you can read. Nice. Um, But in myth, Pan represents the wild and he protects the wild. And he encourages people to follow their more basic instincts. And that's sort of the idea of Pan. And then he he eventually had disappeared into the wild and was presumed dead by all all except the satyrs. But then he is found. Whoa! Yep, and then he died. Yeah, and then he died. Yeah, and I said this a little bit in ep- episode three, I'm sure, just because I'm looking at the notes from episode three and it's in there. Um, Pan, deri- uh, Pan uh, originated the world panic because... That was his power to yell and make everybody go, ah! (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) The word word panic comes from pan. Yeah. Hurrah. And the word all. Yes. That's why pansexual people like everyone. Yes. (laughs) Yay. And bread. Because pan means bread in many languages. Does it? I think so. (laughs) I don't know about that. That brings us to bring on the monsters. Bring on the monsters. Okay, once again, we do not have any new monsters. But I do want to take this moment to appreciate that Campy has pockets. (laughs) I appreciated that when I was... Reading, yep. That's yep, nice. yep, yep. Line face pocket. Yep, because like she has those heads on her belt, and I got or heads on her waist as like a belt, so it make works. A as a, yeah, make a pocket. <laughs> Just be like, don't swallow. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right, are you ready for quest queries? I'm ready. Are you ready? Ah, sort of. Uh, my first question was, Rachel can see that Tyson is a cyclops. Yes, I believe but so. But doesn't. Like, the first time she sees him, there's, it's just like, he's like, you're pretty. 
And we don't see any of her reaction. I think that's just because Rachel is just so in the mode right yeah, now to be, like, used like, to whatever. seeing a lot of monsters. And then also they sort of told her already. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's a, I have a brother. His name is Tyson. We might meet him at some point. So she might true. have been thinking of that. She came into the picture knowing things. Yeah. Uh, where is Clarice during the battle? I didn't notice her once. Me neither, but I just assume that she's there fighting. I do too, but I, know, I don't like doesn't that she don't. yell like, she, yeah, she's there because she yells a command to everyone. Like, oh, yeah, she says, lock shields. <laughs> yeah, so she's there. She's fighting with yeah. everyone. Uh, what is it? Uh, sacrilege and lies. <laughs> That's Salinas. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, his voice wavered, the ground underneath is trembling. Everyone in the clearing stopped what they were doing. Clarice barked a single order. Lock shields! Then the Titans, Titan Lord's army explored, exploded from the labyrinth. Yeah. And Beckendorf is there too. Yes. Fighting. Because I remember Beckendorf. I just didn't remember Clarice and I was concerned. And then she shows up at the end and I'm like, where have you been, girl? <laughs> She's been there fighting, lady. Okay. I had this question, too. Are there rounds of Monopoly? Yeah. I don't... It just seems like, weird. Isn't it, like, once you get go bankrupt, you're, like, out of the game? I thought so. You mm. know what else is weird? I got Bennett Uno cards for Christmas. No, you got them Dose cards. I got them Dose, Dose and I got them Uno Flip. And I was reading about some of the new cards, and it was like, oh, the first person to reach X amount of points wins. I was like, what? You play Uno with points? I know. I thought that was just until you got all of the cards or whatever. Got rid of you all get rid cards. of all your cards. I thought that was the winner. Yeah. I so guess wow. if you want to do rounds of Uno. Yeah. You can do rounds of Monopoly. If you play Uno with points. Imagine playing multiple rounds of Monopoly. That would be like two days. <laughs> I know. I'm like, maybe a round is just one time around the board. Yeah. I'm looking up the official Monopoly rules. Oh, wow. Um, I think that it just means the third time around the board, he was already bankrupt. Yeah. Rough. And then once you go, like, exhaust all your funds and you can't mortgage anything and... Once you're, you're bankrupt, you're bankrupt. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, like, man. Real life, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> For more Percy Jackson content, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at floor underscore 600, Tumblr at floor 600 podcast, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash floor 600 to help us improve this podcast and get some cool perks like bonus episodes, stickers, a private floor 600 group and more. And as always, rate, review and subscribe. And thank you for listening as this episode will be going out Shortly after the one-year anniversary of the release of our first episode. One whole year. One whole year. It's craziness. I know. January 26, 2019. We were so young back then. I know. I feel like a lot has changed (laughs) in the last year. Where did we first record our episode? Our first episode was recorded in the house I was house-sitting in. (laughs) Yeah. So it wasn't even our house. Nope. <laughs> and then we went to record in, like, your, in, your yeah. dad's photo studio. In my, yeah, my dad's photo studio. And then we went and we're recording in your basement. And now we're recording in 
My different second hobby. floor. <laughs> second floor. We're moving around. Yeah, at one point we recorded the movie episode in my bedroom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I um, completely forgot about that one. <laughs> yeah, it's been a wild ride. Yeah. It just keeps... All around this house. Yep. <laughs> All over the two counties. Yep. Crazy, man. Craziness. Well, thank you for sticking around for the one, for a year, a year, if you stuck around. If you're just discovering us, welcome. We like you, too. Yep. <laughs> and if you like us, go and rate us. And, and because that's how more people can find us. Yeah. Share, uh, share the word. Spread the word about us if you like us. Yep. And thanks. Bye. Bye.